0: Hi, I'm Masaba Gupta, each week on How I Masaba from Luminary, I talk to one incredible woman about how they do, well, them. These are the inspirational mindsets, necessary daily practices, and only funny in hindsight experiences that have defined and continue to drive our culture's greatest. When we talk about traditional and modern, more often than not, we mean two ideas that are inherently conflicting with each other. The modern seeking to replace the traditional and the traditional trying to hold its ground. When I dig deep into the research for my guest today, I realize that sometimes these two don't need to clash. They can not only coexist but thrive together, feeding off each other. It sounds like one of those things that sound really nice to say, right? Yeah, but for it to actually make sense, you need to see it in real life. And believe me, There is no better manifestation of this in real life than my guest today. She is a musician that hails from the richest of legacies steeped in tradition. But her unique sound and rich body of work have truly made their mark in modern day world music. Today, I'm talking to Anushka Shankar. Anushka, I'm going to start with something that is very weird. But my whole life, I've been mistaken for you. I don't know. Really?
1: Yes. That's amazing. I love that. (laughs) Thank you. Curly haired girls unite. (laughs) Curly
0: haired girls reunite. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so you are currently in the midst of a world tour and you're coming to India after a very long time.
1: How long has it been? The last time I was there was in February 2020. So just before the world turned upside down um and so yeah it's been a it's been a long gap not just because of the time but because of how much we've all been through in that time it feels like it's been even longer of a gap because of that
0: yeah and and talk to me uh, what are your plans while you are in India of course apart from the shows um that you'll be playing I heard there's a special world premiere of a reimagined version of one of your previous tracks
1: Mm -hmm. so um I'm coming back. Um, on on the personal side, I'm bringing my kids for the first time in six years, so so that's uh, part of um, one of the things that feels really important to me about coming back. So after the tour, we'll be staying back for a little while and all of that. On the music side, um, I am, you know, very much looking forward to bringing two new bands. Um, I'm playing like a double show um, in each city. so. It's uh, very unusual and very exciting, but the most important thing that um that I'm, means a lot to me is releasing this new piece of music, which is a reworking of a song I did many years ago called In Jyoti's Name, which was written in the aftermath of uh, the horrible attack on on Jyoti Singh Bande, and um, th- and so the original piece of music was written in her honor and kind of as as my emotional response to what happened to her. I was conscious that I happened to be on tour in India, overlapping the 10-year anniversary of what happened to her. And that sort of set me thinking about the fact that it's been a decade since that. You know, a decade is a long time. yeah. And, and I was wondering what's really changed in this time. And, uh, you know, and over these years and over the months, uh, there's you know, one story after another, either of an individual woman and something that happens to her. And I feel that same gut punch that I felt uh, in, in December 2012. Um, or it's something that's happening in a country that makes me feel like we're under attack, you know, as a, yeah. a, as, as a, as a, as a subset of our species. Um, but one way or another, like nothing's changed, basically, it feels like. And so th- this new version of a song kind of developed from... This feeling of pain and outrage that I and many women I know, most women I know, are feeling, and so this new version is extended and developed, and it's called "In Her Name" to broaden out into a more universal sense of how wide and broad uh, the problem is. And uh, there's lyrics by Nikita Gill, who's an incredible poet of and dear I love friend. Her work. She's amazing, amazing, and. Um, and the music video also features uh, artwork and sculptures by Shiloh Siv- Shiv Suleiman, who's another incredible uh, female artist, and uh, Bharatanatyam dancer Maitali Prakash, who's genuinely one of my favorite artists in the world. And she just can tell a story with her body uh, in the most powerful way. So I'm really, really looking forward to sharing that with people as, as a piece of music, as a video, and then also live while we're there.
0: Yeah, and I think it'll be a great sort of reflection of, Like you said what we're feeling as as women across the world now you're back on the road after the pandemic does it feel very different has a lot changed for you
1: um yes in many ways uh you know we we did some shows in 2020 that were audience free and and had to be um going through strange mitigation factors obviously that we'd never had before slowly in 2021 we started doing a few shows and the difficulties of, of travel, you know, as, as musicians and the kind of checks and documents and, and rules and everything that came into place made it very, very challenging to do the same work that we used to do before. And now in some ways, you know, it's quote unquote gone back to normal a little bit more when it comes to some of those elements. But it still feels different. I feel like as a person, I feel so different than I, than I used to. So just now, for example, I went for a show in Singapore. And uh, and I was so looking forward to going so far away again, going to that part of the world again. But as I got on the plane, I had this very primal fear that suddenly came up for a moment. Like, what if something happens again? What if, what if it gets worse and they go into lockdown? Like, I'm leaving my kids in London and I'm going away for a five day trip. But what happens if I'm suddenly stuck on the other side of the world? And so, so all of that stuff feels more uh, fragile and. Um, uh, you know, we're more powerless than than we ever were in those in those senses. So it feels it feels harder to treat it the same way that I used to, to be honest.
0: Yeah, and I think that sense of abandon and just just relaxing. When I get on a flight, I relax completely, but I just feel like I don't have the ability to do that anymore. I, I feel like, what if I'm stuck on this this flight? What if I'm stuck in the city that I'm going to, and I can never see my family, for example? You know, so yeah, that's that's a tough one.
1: On the on the flip side, there is also an incredible beauty I'm experiencing because what I do in that way was taken away for a, a long period of time, you know, and and every show that I have done since then where we have the privilege and the fortune of having a live audience and playing music for them and having that that connection, I guess is what it's about. But having connection with human beings after isolation uh feels like an unbelievable blessing you know so so there's there's on the flip side on one side it's more difficult and on the other side it's also more magical
0: yeah i think it's a nice balance between the two we're talking about touring and i wanted to get your point of view on this um it's something you've done your whole life um there is a massive high of a life performance right And I also feel like it's very intense. You have crazy hours. It's crazy travel. You're pretty much living out of a suitcase. You've talked about how it's so normal for many musicians to feel burnt out. But are you making any specific choices in order to not feel that burnout? What are you doing to protect yourself and your craft?
1: It's a difficult question to answer um, because obviously it's it's very individual. Uh, For me, I've had to really step back from a huge amount compared to how much I used to do before. Um, So whereas now I, you know, I might at most do a couple dozen shows a year, unless every few years, maybe there might be one big tour or something. But I used to do 80, 90 shows a year, you know, which for full time touring musicians is quite common. And yet after a while, I couldn't sustain a normal, healthy life, uh, any kind of home life um and also mental health you know like just for for relationships to be gone that long it's it's not sustainable and and things just break down and um so all of that stuff i started realizing i valued more than than any joy i get from music i think it depends the relationship people have with music because for some people that is the be all end all Primary focus of their life, you know, for a lot of artists, that's what it is. Whereas for me, I feel like more and more I've realized actually I want to be happy, I want to be healthy, I want to have relationships and some calm and some solidity, you know. So, um, so I've been trying for years to see how I can fit what I do into my life rather than wrap my life around what I do, and and that shift has changed the way I choose what I take on. And that, that's probably one of the fundamental things. And then the other side is when I do go on tour, when I do do that thing that you, I used to lose myself in, how do I try and hold on to a central core or balance or health while I'm doing it, you know, which which is more into like, you know, self-care and habits and those those kinds of things, which obviously at 20, I wasn't thinking about.
0: <laughs> yeah, I feel like we all we all sort of start thinking about it when it's, when we've hit like the boiling point, you know. And I think it should all, always be a part of our lives. I look at this incredible body of work that you've put out, Anushka, and not only music, but your work on films, your writing, it's, it's incredible. Just the spectrum of work is incredible. And something that does stand out to me is the number of incredible collaborators you have on your on your new album as well, between us. I want to ask you about this. What do you think is the key to a good collaborator for you? And I was talking to Sanya Mirza um, a couple of weeks back, and I remember she said Martina Hingis and her played doubles, but they weren't really good friends and they didn't feel like they had to be. Do you feel that with the people that you work with?
1: Um, I think chemistry is hugely important, Um, but chemistry can play out in different ways with the same person so I I think I know what Sania was saying to you that it doesn't have to be that someone is someone who could be your best friend for you to have another kind of chemistry together Um, but usually there's something that pulls me towards a person you know so if I hear them it draws me it attracts me you know and when I feel that curiosity or hunger by watching someone do what they do that is a sign that I could work with them for me. You know, right. it, it's quite simple, really. It's <laughs> um, a vibe. <laughs> it's a vibe. It's yeah. a vibe. And, and yeah. I think uh, along with that, there is a sense of mutual respect that's hugely important to any good collaboration and um, a willingness to put ego aside. Um, because if you've got two big egos in a room, collaboration can't work, you know, because then it's about, wanting to have more of your ideas on there or feeling threatened if someone thinks something's good and not good enough. But if you're there in the spirit of collaboration, it's the idea that you're making a piece of work with someone else that is collectively better than you could make alone. And you're there in service of this greater piece of work. Um, then that is is a place from which good collaboration can happen.
0: No, that's true. And I think I've had a lot of collaborations in my life. And I feel like the best ones have been where we both come to the table as equals you know it's you're an equal i'm an equal and we're just doing this it's it's like a marriage right it it it's got to be it's like a dance almost right it's got to be yeah very much right so. both people have to be in sync in tune and that's when magic happens do you feel that you've always had to run uphill in terms of establishing an identity you know i think people are always questioning is she a classical musician or is is she a western musician and then there's your heritage of course now with all that you've accomplished do you think people have become more accepting and and you're clearly more comfortable in your skin what's
1: the secret i mean a lot of it is time you know over over the years of doing this and you know in, at the beginning i i took i made three classical albums before i felt brave enough to make and a crossover album, you know, and at that time, the way I presented it and the way I talked about it was very different from the way I would 15 years later, you know, because it felt like a big deal to be challenging what people saw me as. Um, whereas now that doesn't feel like a challenge at all, because um, I, I come from a different place with it. But also, I mean. I think having made music for a long time, as you say, that that kind of confusion of like, what did she do? What is it about? You know, that has sort of settled after a long time. And people just sort of, well, my listeners at least, sort of know that maybe every album is different or every tour is different. But that's sort of the consistent. So it's this idea that I'm exploring and I'm on some kind of journey and where is she now? And that's the, that's the curiosity factor as opposed to knowing exactly what they're going to get. Touchwood, that seems to work
0: <laughs> for <laughs> yeah, now. I feel like it's, it's good to be a bit mysterious and mm-hmm. not not always give people the answers they're looking for. You've spoken about the fact that you take classical music very seriously because of the legacy you have to carry forward. It's this rich historical art form that is unfortunately not really thriving in the larger scheme of things today. Do you feel the pressure of having this global platform that allows you to take this music to an audience that hasn't
1: experienced it? Uh, That's a great question. And I think, I think to be truly honest, I think other people maybe do more in a very direct way to promote our classical music than I do, because so much of the initial part of my journey was finding a way to be comfortable with my legacy and finding my personal relationship with it. I, I want to say I make music from a, what you could say is a more selfish place, uh, even though I don't think that's a bad thing, but it's more from a place of what fulfills me, what speaks to me, where I'm at. And that happens to carry our classical music at the core very much because that's a central part of the music I make, but neither is it overtly me doing a huge amount on the purely classical side to promote our music. So. Um, Sometimes I question that in myself, you know, that the idea that I was given something very, very precious and uh, and should I be putting more into making sure that doesn't die out? Um, but at the moment, I feel confident that there are a lot of other people doing, doing that. that. Mm-hmm. Um, and maybe the older I get, maybe that my value system about that may change and I might choose to do that more. But for now, it feels like whatever happens is a byproduct of me making the music that feels like I need to be making. And that feels right for me.
0: You know, it's interesting, but I I went through something similar when I was designing, I think, a couple of years back. And I started off with just handloom, right? I was always doing like ikats and just like beautiful Indian textiles. And then one day I remember the, the consumer changed. Suddenly the consumer said, you know, we're okay. We don't want something that takes two months to weave. You know, We just want something that's quick. And that was when fast fashion came into into the world and changed everything from there on. But I remember saying that I feel good. I'm okay. I feel very satisfied creatively to be doing what I'm doing. And I don't need to do what I started off doing just just to be happy. And that was a very big moment in my life because it wasn't inherently who I was as a designer. But I think people change. And I, do, you, do you feel like as a creative person, you keep changing? I almost feel like most creative people are just, they have two personalities, sometimes three. If you're very unlucky, four. <laughs> do you feel that? Do you feel like you have different personalities at different times in your well, life?
1: Very much so. I mean, I think change is growth. Um so people, hopefully, are changing and growing all the time as they live a life, right? So if you're changing as people, then it makes sense that you're changing as artists as well. Um, and so, you know, for me, I think the biggest shift I can see is because I happened to start so young. So that beginning part of my career was very much a kind of more dutiful, timid, uh, diligent approach Uh being the daughter of, being the student of, and then slowly starting to find my comfort with, you know, carving out my own identity and space through that. And then um, I think perhaps there was another chapter where I started to bring together my strong feelings about the world and and really bringing that into my art and not feeling like those were separate things, um, and really using my voice through my music as well. Um, and then the older I get, it's just more and more holistic. I think there's there's less division between different parts of myself as a person, as a woman. And so the same is true as an artist.
0: So also with classical music, there's this tradition, right, where you pass your knowledge on to another generation. Uh, this guru discipline, you know, that, that that whole guru-disciple relationship that you have. You've spoken about how your father was a guru to you. Is there a drive for you to pass this on to another generation, even if it's not your own children?
1: It's, that aspect of music has come into my life more recently. Um, And I now have a couple, a few students um, that I'm teaching. And that was something that used to always intimidate me, like the idea of having to step into that role, I found really scary. But I think that bizarrely also comes from ego. It's this idea that you have to be perfect and know enough and do enough before you can um, step into that position and actually it's just a flow like you just you just pass on what you what you have and it comes through you uh, so it's been quite beautiful starting to step into that with with a few people but you know it's it's different also like it's not um it's not the same exactly the same way that I learned from my father and even he would always say the way I learned from him was so different from the way he learned from his guru so generationally things do change you know so trying to pass on that kernel of of the music but also the the beautiful system and spirit of it um but in a modern context is something that i'm still finding my way with
0: there's also awards right when you come as an artist there's all the validation that comes with awards i love awards by the way it's to a point where i'm spoiled i'm just like i will go pick up any award that you're giving me (laughs) (laughs) but um there's an incredible amount of prestige that comes with a Grammy nomination and rightfully so for the incredible work that you put out. Do you feel like it opens more doors for you? Or is it just something that's, you know, like a nice little thing lying on your shelf?
1: It's, it's, it's both. I mean, there is prestige, there is, um, promotion, there is a kind of, uh, sheen that comes with certain big awards, you know, where, where it kind of gives you a stamp of some kind. So You know, Grammy nominee gives you one kind of stamp, Grammy winner maybe gives you another kind of stamp, even though fundamentally the work was the same, whether it was not nominated, nominated or wins. Right. Um, So I think on the practical side, it can certainly have many ways that it can open up doors or, or give benefits. On the personal side, I feel like they're a danger zone for me. I very much enjoy them too, of course, like they're, they're, they're wonderful. I love, I love that feeling of feeling validated. I love that feeling that people loved what you did, but it can also become really easy to start sort of chasing that or thinking of that or, or even subtly believing that that has some kind of meaning and an actual reflection on the worth of your work, you know, and that's where it gets dangerous, I think you know as much as i try and just enjoy the stuff that comes um i also feel like i do an equivalent amount of work talking to myself and staying grounded about not believing the system that surrounds it yeah
0: because what can happen is sometimes you've had a great year and you've won like every damn award that there is and i know what you're saying it can go to your head as well it can make you believe that you're probably the best out there and that might affect the kind of work that you put in. Do you feel like that as well or do you just sort of do the self-talking to not let it affect you to a point?
1: So, you know, it it sort of, it connects with a lot of other aspects of of doing this job. You know, my relationship with press, for example, is another side of it um, or with social media. You know, they're all different aspects of a kind of external validation that um, I realized really young that um, if I... If I read, let's say, for example, positive reviews after a show in order to feel great, which is very human, you know, like if I get some fantastic review where someone's raving about my work, I feel good, you know. But what that means is if I happen to chance upon another review where someone hated what I did and tears it to pieces, then that goes in the same amount in me as the positive feedback. I can't choose to just let in validation. Like, if that is an actual reflection of my worth in my belief system, then the negative review is also a reflection of my worth, you know? And, and to live your own life and existence with that external stuff that you have no power over being the judgment of your worth is, ultimately, it can be a very, very painful place, you know? So, um, so I guess that's what I mean by it, you know, like the same, the same nomination, like taking the Grammys as an example, you know, getting Grammy nominated in that moment is a huge joy, right? And it's an honor or a shock or a pleasure. There's huge media attention. Everyone's like, wow, she was nominated. That's fantastic. And it feels great, right? Two months later, if you don't win, which has been my experience so far, then the same nomination is now written about as a loss. And it's like, oh, she didn't win. Oh, you know, somebody else won. That was great, you know, but she didn't win. Again, poor thing, she didn't win. Maybe next time, you know. And it's like, nothing has externally changed. That piece of work existed before the nomination. It existed through the nomination. But somehow it's this amazing thing, and then it's a not good enough thing, you know. And I will take that in into my personhood if if I'm letting that stuff in, you know. So I try, you know, always to have that sense of a reality check around my own belief system around that stuff because otherwise I'm screwed basically like I'm just looking to that stuff to. <laughs> I, I tell you
0: yeah I'm a bit screwed <laughs> I'll tell you that because the other day I was uh when I announced this podcast and um I, I was just, I have this habit of going through all the comments on my Instagram page which is a bad idea and there was one person that said you know we love what you do and we love everything that you're putting out there but don't you think you're doing too much with brand masaba like where's the exclusivity where's the mystery you're doing everything and I remember feeling so beat about that whole thing for maybe four or five hours that day but then I sat down and I told myself I said if I have the ability to do multiple things and do them decently not very well but decently and if I have the ability to use my voice to bring change you know, even for like 10 women, five women, whatever, I'll do it. I'm going to do everything I can in my power because it's just one life, right?
1: Absolutely. I think, I think you're hitting the nail on the head. It's like this life is to be lived by you, you know, no one else is living your life. And um, that can be, you know, spent kind of emptily or wasted or used. And, You know, I mean, using social media and that stuff as an example, it's so impossible not to fall into that, you know, uh, again and again. I have pick it up, put it down, pick it up, put it down. But like I did like a a video ages ago of just, you know, playing some music and sharing it with people. And among like hundreds and hundreds of beautiful comments, there's like, uh, you know, one of those like, you know, smile (laughs) or Or like, oh, so, you know, uh, and I was like, oh, that, 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 uh, that cliche, you know, obviously as a woman, you have to do what you do, but also smile, you know, but then somehow it seeped under my skin and I was like, yeah, okay, maybe I was just kind of practicing. on looking a little sad and maybe if I'm sharing it with people, I should be a little more outwards towards them, you know? So on the next video that was in the back of my head and I was like, just looking to the camera a little bit more, which is also fine. I do both. Right. But I was looking to the camera and just smiling a bit more. And then under there was hundreds of positive comments, but there's also like one person going, ah, she's fake and superficial. Like she's not really playing from her heart. She's just, it's like, you know what? You just can't win. If you're trying to act from that place of pleasing other people, you cannot win. You will never please everyone, ever.
0: And I think that's something women especially have to make their peace with. Do you feel like you're the kind of person that's always jumping into the next thing? You've made music for films, you've written columns, and you've produced music. Do you you find that you're always consciously looking for new challenges to keep things fresh? Or is it just more about the interesting opportunities that come your way?
1: Uh, Both. I think sometimes things come your way because someone else had an idea, you know, and then that can be interesting. And if it feels genuinely interesting, then yes, I was externally motivated by something. Um, a lot of the times it's from a curiosity and a desire to express, you know, across mediums that feels like it's fluid. You know, it's not just that I want to express myself in music. I also want to express myself through words and through movement, through, you know, different mediums of music, whatever that may be. Um, so I guess that's led to me experimenting with, with different things over the years. Um, and I think overall it just comes from a genuine emotion or feeling. Uh, at any point what's next on your horizon um well I've had this kind of question mark of an album for a couple of years now where I've been like gotta make the next album gotta make the next album and it's sort of turned into a pressure um where I was like oh my god I have writer's block now you know which I don't but I just made made it into a self-inflicted pressure but actually I've I've now turned that around again for myself and I've just carved out a few months after the India tour to to just have some time you know to write and so I'm, I'm very much looking forward to to writing the next album um or you know whatever it is um and alongside that i'm i am looking to do more scoring um so writing music not for my own albums and touring whether that's for dance for theater for film um it feels like it's a different way to be musically creative but not on that crazy touring circuit um and to be home and be a mom and be you know sane.
0: but what do you do when you have a creative block have you ever had one because i feel like when i get one i really have to go very far away from the work that i'm doing in order to finally come closer to it do you feel the same way i've or do you have always
1: taken breaks um i've never been that kind of person that has a diehard rule about playing every day or or anything like that, because I think the breaks are important, you know, stepping away and having other life experiences that then influence what I'm making um, and also missing it, you know, um, that that feels important too Um, and to reconnect. On the flip side, though, what I've found with writer's blocks or any kind of block is that sitting around on my ass talking about having a block is not going to release it, right? So um, eventually, one way or another, I have to show up for it. And usually showing up for it creates the space for it to come back, you know. So it's just being there, receptive.
0: That's so true. I was saying this in the last episode, that showing up is half the job done.
1: You know, and maybe, maybe, I mean, one like I did a, an EP called Love Letters a couple of years ago, and I was working with another single mom, uh, my co-writer, co-producer, Olive Lenz. So our whole way of working was very different because it wasn't the kind of classic, you know eight hours a day in a studio uh, kind of vibe. It was just very fluid. And, you know, she would come over or I would come over and we would write a couple lines and sometimes that would feel enough, you know? And, And in some other settings, that would seem not productive enough. But actually what would happen is that the music would still be percolating in our minds, you know, through, you know dealing with kids and school runs and practical things. And we would be listening, we would have space, and then we would come back and something very charged and positive would happen again. And so it didn't have to be that kind of classic break-your-back kind of way of working, but it had to be consistent. It had to be showing up whenever we could. You know, um, that feels really important.
0: It took a global pandemic to make it happen, but you've probably spent more time at home than you have for most of your life, all of us have. What's the one
1: thing about you that has changed? I'm a much better parent than I used to be. Um, I've, I've learned how to really see and intuit my children and their kind of subtle shifts and changes by, by being there and being tuned into them day in and day out for that period. It's created a bond that's much deeper than I feel like we had before.
0: A lot of parents have told me that. Either that or they're just, they've just
1: they gone crazy. I also went crazy. <laughs> There's no question that, that I went crazy. But I also feel like I'm a better parent than I was before.
0: You've obviously played countless shows, but I wanted to know if you remember any one that you have attended that you would consider among your favorites.
1: That I've played or attended. Mm-hmm. Um uh, well, attended or played, anything mm-hmm. that's your I, Both are hard to choose one of out of so many. Um, I think seeing Bjork live for the first time would probably be a highlight of attending because she was someone that I kind of grew up loving and listening to for so long. And then finally seeing her live felt very immense to me. Um, and uh, as far as my own, I think there are certain shows that, are very much out of the norm. Like, they're in some incredible location. And and so the experience of being on that stage, on that platform is very, very different from anywhere else. So it really stands out. So I remember, for example, playing in a limestone quarry in Sicily, uh, back, back in like 2005, where I was surrounded by these giant limestones, you know, and just felt so small, like surrounded by forest and trees and limestones, and just the feeling of playing music into that space. You know, that that kind of thing is really memorable for me.
0: What's the city you enjoy playing in? Oof most.
1: That's difficult. Probably home cities. Like, I can't pick one, but the ones that I end up, you know, outside of having, you know, playing for, for audiences, which I love, but to have, like, you know, 50, 60, 70, sometimes 90, you know, friends, family members, loved ones in the audience as well, there's a real culmination of so many life joys to to be on that stage and be held by your loved ones at the same time and share. Um, so whether that's London, Delhi, Bombay, LA, San Diego, New York, like these places where I have strong connections with people um, end up feeling like highlights.
0: Tell me about the last time you were starstruck.
1: Playing on a piece of music with Patti Smith last year. Because again, she's another artist that I think is an incredible human and an incredible artist. And Iria reading her memoir years ago was just really influential for me. So just years later to be, you know, making a piece of music with her just felt really crazy. Yeah, that would be crazy, yeah. I think, for me as well. Yeah. Even though I don't yeah. like music. When... <laughs> um, on a very different kind of flavor, like maybe this summer, like having lunch with Tom Cruise again. Like that feels very star striking. Wow. Like you can't help being very like what, what yeah, about about an experience like that yeah um
0: wow mm-hmm. yeah that's nice you, you've two <laughs> moments which which are great <laughs> are you an absolute perfectionist when it comes to
1: your art um, to most things really um i I'm, I'm very much a perfectionist in a way that can be a huge part of Uh, why I'm good at a lot of things, Um, but it can also be quite debilitating because it can make me fearful of taking risks or being messy, which is also difficult in creative work um, and in life, Um, and can also make me very controlling because I'm convinced I know how everything's supposed to be. Um, So in all the ways, good and bad, I can be a perfectionist, yeah.
0: Are you a scorpion by any chance? No, I'm a
1: Gemini, but I have a Virgo moon, so that can kind of Get in there in some ways.
0: <laughs> uh, my mom's Gemini, and she's yeah. she's also she she knows that she's doing it all right. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And what about your personal life? Do you find yourself being extremely organized in that space as well, or do you just swing it?
1: Um, but both, I suppose. I don't really know what being organized about personal life means. I I have a wide circle of close friends, so it takes some active effort on my part to you know reach out and stay connected and plan so diary can be very full um, and that I think is just part of being a parent as well and a single parent especially like life involves a lot of organizing now in a way that it used to be a lot more impulsive and easy um, so yeah if I if I really value something I'll I'll have to work and put some effort into making time for it.
0: And your kids are coming to India what is the one thing or maybe the two things that you hope that they will learn and take back and possibly apply to their lives as they grow
1: up? I don't know. Um, I think um, coming back again and connecting with their heritage, with, uh, with the relationship with music and with my father and therefore our family that people have in India is quite special and, and different from anywhere else. So um, for them to come and see what that's like touring there and being there feels um, really special. But on the flip side, like when the tour is over, we're just going to go to Goa for a week. And, you know, that was a place that meant a lot to me for many, many years before kids. And, you know, just the idea of coming and sharing it with them and and showing them a bit of the, the magic that's there in the air, you know, feels really special.
0: And last question, what is the best advice that you've got through your career?
1: Can I tell you two? Yes, um, you can tell me three. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, I think one was more by by example than being told. But um, but the biggest thing for me was growing up around my father because um, I would witness, obviously, people treating him like the culmination of everything music. He was the pinnacle of how far you could go musically, you know, and people really looked up to him in that way. And I could see why, of course, you know, But but I also experienced him daily Seeing himself as a student of music, you know, and his daily practice was one of learning, of seeking, of growing. He never got to a point where he felt like he was done. And the perspective checker that comes with that, you know, being close to the person that everyone sees as the pinnacle and actually seeing that where he is, he's seeing a whole other pinnacle available out of his reach, you know, that was so humbling about the kind of infinite nature of of art. Um, And I never have lost that sense. Um, and the other one is a funnier one, it was um, it was from George Harrison, who um, I was very close to, and uh, he produced my dad's album, Chants of India, in, and I was 14, 15, and working on that record, I helped to conduct and notate and do a few things. And there was one day where like, the piece of music just wasn't working, they were trying to get everyone to recite a shloka in unison, out of rhythm, and I kept saying we should give up because it wasn't coming together, and my dad and he kept wanting to try. And I was getting frustrated. I was 15 and I knew it all, you know, and it was like, this isn't working, we're wasting our time, you know, all that kind of feeling. And I was huffing and puffing a little bit. And um, eventually, uh, Uncle George and my dad, they, they came up with a way to notate it, that it sounded out of rhythm, but it was still in rhythm and people could recite together perfectly and it sounded amazing. And, uh, and afterwards, Uncle George just kind of took me aside and told me this little story about the optimist frog and the pessimist frog and how they both fell into a bowl of milk. And, uh, and the pessimist frog was just so overwhelmed that, you know, he was going to die that he just gave up and drowned. Um, whereas the optimist frog was determined to get out of there. And he was trying to jump out of the milk for so long. He obviously couldn't jump out because he, he was in milk, but he kept trying for so long that the milk slowly started to turn into butter. And, and then he just jumped out, you know, and, and that was a huge lesson. That's a life lesson right there. Mm-hmm. Anushka,
0: thank you so much.
1: Pleasure. For
0: spending the time. <laughs> and I felt like it just was lovely, seamless conversation with you. It was mm-hmm. very, very nice. It was and- a
1: joy speaking to
0: you, lovely. In the next episode of How I'm Asaba, I'm speaking to the award-winning journalist, Fede Souza. You were listening to How I'm Asaba only on Luminary. The podcast is produced by Monisha Singh and Rainshine Entertainment. Rithika Bajaj is our creative producer and Palash Karni is our executive producer. The research for this episode was done by Anushka Mukherjee. The mix engineer for this episode is Ankit Thakur, artist management by Versus Entertainment LLP. The music supervisor for the episode is Ankur Srivastav. The episode was recorded at Bayal Studios, Mumbai.